On this episode of Year One, we speak to Alex and Jay Shan, founders of Stance Fitness, a fit tech business bringing wearable-enabled SaaS technology to gyms and gym users to effectively track and monitor performance against weight and strength training targets. We speak about founder relationships, understanding the crux of your business, validating the business idea, and managing investor expectations. It's a great story. You'll enjoy it. Sit back, buckle up, and enjoy the show. Welcome to Year One, hosted by me, Dio Kloppers, and my good friend, Satish Bala. On Year One, we speak to early stage founders, business owners, and entrepreneurs about the highs and lows of the early years, the challenges and rewards, and everything else in between. So, without any further ado, let's get into this week's conversation. Alex, Jay Shan, thank you so much for joining Satish and I on Year One. We're really thrilled to have you on our podcast. We're looking forward to talking to both of you. Likewise. Before I dive into your business, though, I would like to learn more about the people behind the business. So, Alex, I'm going to start with you. Give me a little bit of insight into your life and the things that have shaped you into the person that you are today. Well, thank you for that, Dion. <laughs> that's, that's a really good question. So I have a slightly, <clears throat> slightly more different background to most startup founders. I had 21 years in the military, which gave me a fantastic skill set. And you know yourself what it's like in the military. It teaches you a number of things. When I left the military, I thought, well, I've got to, I've got to knock the edges off this. I've got to mold it into a commercial skill set. So I did an MBA, did a full-time MBA. And while I was at, uh, sitting there doing my MBA in a place called Ashridge in, in the UK, I thought long and hard about what it was I wanted to do. And one of the things that became very clear to me was that I wanted to get into the, into the SME sector, into the startup world. I didn't quite know how, but that's certainly, when I was at Ashridge, molded the way I thought about the future for me. And then I spent four or five years in consulting and then I started to get into startups. And I've been in, I've been involved with three or four startups over the last 10 years. So that in a nutshell is, is my background. I appreciate that. I'm going to ask you questions, but before I do, I'm going to switch over to Jason and I'm going to ask you the same question. Yeah. So mine is slightly different to Alex's. So I've got a background in engineering. So I studied as an engineer at university. I then worked in defense, so I was working on building nuclear submarine projects up in the northeast and northwest even of UK. But that was, of course. as yeah, as you do, right? <laughs> Sorry, did, uh, did you say nuclear submarine? Yeah, nuclear submarines. Yeah, was that a job description that somebody put? How did you fuck? Is that like an ND thing? <laughs> We're looking for a nuclear submarine. Well, well, I always lived. So I was born and bred in London, studied in London. I've always been in London. I thought I want to get out there and I want to work on something really cool. And then this opportunity came up working in defense on this crazy project. Right. And it was in the middle of nowhere. And I thought this will be a good chance to just, you know, test a few things, trial a few things out and see how it goes. And, and it was really fun for the first couple of years, but with all kind of governmental defense type contracts, it's really slow. It's really tedious. And I did not see the rest of my life sitting, you know, tw eight hours a day behind a computer. I just did not see that as, you know, the rest of my working career. So I wanted to roll my sleeves up, get into something more fast paced, more dynamic, you know, get into that startup scene. And that's when I joined Greenstar, which is where I met Alex. And that's kind of where my whole startup journey kind of all kicked off. Is it pretty cool? Are, are, you both, that. Are, are you both native to UK? I know yeah. you're trying to say you're yeah. born there too. Yeah. yeah. That's well, awesome. We've got a, 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 what is the backstory? Other. Yeah, we've known each other for quite a long time. So we met five or six years ago 
we worked in the offshore wind sector and the job that we were doing was for a small startup called Greenspur, which is a fantastic company. And we were building a new type of generator for the offshore wind sector. So Jay Shen was the lead engineer. I was the project manager and then became the chief operating officer for that particular company. And we spent best part of a year living in a hotel in the Northeast, literally building a generator, screwing the nuts in, sticking bits on, designing it, this, that, and the other. And it was a fantastic, fantastic. It's one of those things which I'm really, really proud of doing. And one day I'll show you a video of the, of the generator. But it, it was a really amazing job. But we used to go, of an evening, we used to go to the gym together and then go and sit and have dinner and chat about, you know, where the future lay. And we sort of, we looked at each other, you know, over the dinner table for, for about eight months and, and came to the realisation that actually, A, we worked really well together. We like each other. We, we challenge each other, get on with each other, and we think along the same lines, which is really cool. But we also have a passion for fitness which again is cool. And we recognized that actually what we wanted to do was something for ourselves, something that we owned and we could make. And that was really, really important for us. And that really was the, was the kernel, if you like, of why we got to where we are today. I think you'd probably agree with that, Jay. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't have put it any better, to be honest. Thank you. Can we, let's dive a little bit deeper in there. Cause I, you know, sure. I've been lucky enough to have a few different businesses and I have one now that I have partners, but prior to that, I've always been an owner operator. I've had a great team members, but partnership was always a little bit scary for me. Probably like what you said, Alex, in your comments back to it, I was loud and, 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 you know, I'm the spotlight guy and I need to sort of build, you know, a business around that. But when you guys are looking at, you know, here's a cool idea. We want to own something together. We've got skill sets that aligns. How do you check off sort of the, 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 the work style is, is one person, the more loud PR up front, one is more quiet behind the scenes, get done. How does the personality line up? That's a really good question. And I suppose part of the answer to that, although it's not a direct answer, is the key relationship in any startup is the founder relationship. It's absolutely key. I, I spent, I probably spend more time with Jason than I do with my wife. And it's my wedding anniversary today. It's probably well. true. So, so, so don't mention it. She, she wouldn't be very happy. Yeah, my girlfriend isn't too seriously. happy either. <laughs> we met the same. He met his girlfriend the same week as he met me, and he's still not quite yeah, sure it's the most important relationship. <laughs> but seriously, and all and in all seriousness, it is probably the key thing you've got to get right right at the start of of a startup. Because if you don't get it right, the business will fall apart. And so, how do we? We because we work together on on a project, we got to know how we both worked and our, our skill sets and and where Jason's stronger in one area than me, and and I. I work slightly better than Jason in another area, and we accept that, and that's pretty cool. Is that, that yeah, what's really interesting is is that we're quite different in the way that we work, but together we we work together really well. So Alex is quite a long term thinker. I'm quite a short term thinker. Alex is really good at rubbing people up the right way and building relationships. I'm good at kind of looking at problems and solving problems. If, so if I can find someone who can help with something, then Alex can build a relationship and then bring them into the team. So it's it's really interesting. We're quite different in the way that we work, but we just come together quite well. But it's not just us. You know, no man is an island or, or, no, or no founders are an island. And what we were absolutely certain was that we had to build the right people. Now, it happens that Jay Shan came out of Imperial College in London. And Imperial College is probably the center of the world's brains, as far as I'm concerned. They're the most intelligent, articulate people down there. And we found, or we've, We've created a team around us that is that is based on Imperial College 
out of nine people that are working at it, which has been absolutely superb for us. And the other thing is that you've got to develop a, a coterie of people around you who are positive, dynamic, and understand what you're doing. And we've managed to do that with our with our advisory board, which includes a guy called Justin Musgrove, for example. Justin was the former chief executive of the Ballantyne Group. And Justin has been wonderfully positive. He's invested in the business and he's been absolutely superb for us as, as a key advisor. People like that that help us drive small businesses to where, to where we're going to. Absolutely. And I think that's a brilliant segue, Alex, into could you and Jason give our audience the 30-second bar, bar talk? You know, what is your business? Yeah, what is your business and why do you do what you're doing? Jay, if I do why we do it and you do what we do it, neatly yeah, go on, let's do that. So yeah. both of us, both of us have a, have a, a real passion for for fitness and sport. So I spent twenty years in the military, and that's what we did in the military. You know, it, it was a, it was a great environment for learning to love sport. And Jason, Jason's passion and hobby is is fitness, and particularly in the gym. And we recognised, you know, having spent a long time in gyms, that there are a number of issues that people have in gyms. And the problem, one of the key problems that people have in gyms is that they don't know what to lift and when to lift it. And most people, 97% of people, don't engage PTs or coaches. So that's why we do it. Jay, do you want to tell them what we do? Yeah, exactly. So to help figure out what, how someone, what someone should lift, you need to figure out the effort that you're putting into your training. So if you had a personal trainer, a personal trainer would observe how much effort and stress you're putting into your workout, right? And once they observe that, then they can tell you how you should modify your weights. So that's exactly what we're trying to do with an Apple Watch or a smartwatch application. So we use the motion sensors in that smartwatch to try and figure that feeling that you have after a workout or the effort that you're putting into a strength training workout. So what we measure with an Apple Watch is um, the force that you're putting into your repetitions and your set. We can understand your range of motion. We can understand your tempo. And we basically put together all these metrics to figure out your effort and how much strain you're putting into your workout from a strength training perspective. And then from that, we can then tell you, hey, you know, Sadish, you're obviously looking like you're pushing way too much at this weight. You know, you're going into an injury zone. Let's drop the weight today. And this is going to get you stronger. I have so many questions. This is such a fascinating business you guys run it. The backstory, uh, I invested in a, in a fitness company. This is back in okay. 20, 2016, 2017. And it was, it was a buddy's business. He reached out. He's been, he's been a fitness trainer for, for over a decade. And he's like, listen, I don't know how to scale my business because I only get paid for the hours I work, which for me is, is beautiful. I love those kind of opportunities. So I said, let's figure out how do we scale your business and, 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 and we decided on a business model, kind of like Uber meets Airbnb, where we would go and rent out every gym and every condo and put it into an ecosystem where you can buy a pass to the business and you can go to any gym anywhere. You don't have to go to a, 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 a you know, mainstream gym. Every condo has unused space, every apartment. Yeah. It failed ultimately because we couldn't get past the insurance issue. But in that one year of building that business, I got to meet so many personal trainers in, in my opinion, there's two types of personal trainers, ones that are really there as an accountability investment. They're not really helping you other than they make sure you show up, you put in the reps, and they're making sure you're doing it over and over again, right? 
And then on the second version, there's folks that are committed to that lifestyle. These are the bodybuilders. You can tell. And, and they're always trying to push you a few percentages past your comfort level. But it's not scientific. It's an emotional thing. It's that Rocky Balboa moment. Like, I'm ready to stop. And he's like, no, just go. Just go. And I'm like, okay. Everything pumping. Adrenaline and shit. And then I'm like, I don't know if this is sustainable by myself without Alex forcing me to push it. And then now we have AI and the Apple Watches and the Aura Rings and the whoop. So the market has got so many different things. When when you look at an average person who's trying to get healthy, who's trying, how the hell do we decide on what combination do we need? And how do you present well, yourself in that combination? Yeah. That's a really good question. And, and I suppose one really simple way of looking at it is, what do elite coaches do for elite athletes that makes them perform better? And there are a number of things. Of course, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a complex subject. Of course it is. But there are one or two things that we can take and democratize. And one of those things is something called velocity-based training. It's using an understanding of velocity to be able to translate into the effort piece that Jason's just been talking about there. And it's a recognized, it's a recognized way of getting people to perform better, particularly in strength, in strength training. But the trouble is it's expensive to use because you have to use an expensive bit of kit to use it. And so therefore it's only available to elite athletes and coaches. But if you can democratize that and give it to people for a fraction of the cost on something that they're already wearing with an Apple phone or, or an Android phone, suddenly you've, you allow everybody in the gym to use what elite athletes are doing. If you can give them those insights, which is what we're doing, you make their perform. you make strength training a much more fun. You make it much more dynamic. You make it, you improve people's performances. And you motivate people as well. And that's absolutely key. So that's what we do. And I, and I love that your approach is not to add on another piece of hard work, right? And that whatever investment I've already made could now extend its purpose. Well, it's funny you mentioned that. <laughs> Go for it, Jay. Over to you. Or and maybe it's funny not. Because, it's funny because <laughs> when, we, when we first started this, when we came up, you know, let's come up with an idea of improving people's strength training programs. It started off with coming up with kind of like the Peloton for strength training. It was a whole bunch of hardware. You know, we we're thinking of using magnets to replace the use of weights. So you could have this funky device in your home when everyone was in lockdown. We then stripped all of that hardware and, and thought, you know, let's have our own piece of wearable that you can stick on someone and then we can understand how they're moving and then improve your performance. But again, stripping it back and really understand what the crooks of our business, it's what you said earlier, right? It's that AI algorithm. It's that software. So why don't we just get started by using what's already out there, what people already have on their wrists. So from a kind of founder entrepreneurial perspective, it just made us easier to move quicker by leveraging what you've already got on your wrist instead of producing our own hardware and trying to sell that when that's just going to hold us back and slow us down. But having said all that, we do have plans that are in the pipeline to introduce a wearable, but what that does is it allows to track another part of your body. So then we can start to build a picture of how your body moves, right? Cause something on your wrist, it's not going to catch everything. For example, if you're doing a push up, you know, your, your wrist isn't moving, right? But if I put something on your upper arm, then I can understand how you're doing a pull up and a muscle up. And if we want to take a picture of how your body moves, you know, we have to put 
more things on there. Absolutely. Can I understand? Sorry, can I just... Sorry. Absolutely key to this is an understanding that the correct use of data to give people insights to make their performance better is right at the core of this. Data is the next oil. If we can get that data and we can use it to make people's lives better, that's just about as cool as it gets, isn't it? I want to just go back. You, you've had this idea. You had the conversation. Both of you are in permanent employee at that point in time, if I'm not mistaken. Well, good old COVID kicked in. So okay. that, that sort of changed the dynamic and, and, and gave us, if you like, the trigger to, to do what we're doing. Okay, perfect. Yeah. Okay. So how did you validate your business idea and how did you take it to market? We've been so, trying to validate for two years. It's <laughs> <laughs> the other side. Yeah. Yeah. I can't. But yeah, so, I mean, yeah. Well, there's a, another sort of slightly long-winded answer to that, and that is that we have have pivoted on or changed direction gently on a number of occasions because of the validation. And that validation takes place on the technical and the market side of things. And there are a number of ways that you can validate things. I think you can do it the traditional way and you can ask, you know, 150 gym users, what do they think about X, Y, and Z? And we've done that. Of course we have. But there are more nuanced ways of doing that as well. And we, and we, we tackled that. So for example, you know, we've, we've spoken long and hard with people at a slightly higher level of, of business to get, to get their understanding of what would be useful at this, at the commercial level, but also how we can take that uh, commercial level thinking and apply it right at the at the user level. So it's understanding things like that as well. So it's not just about validation of the technology and, and the and the market uh, per se. It's also about validating how we do, how we structure it, how we run our business and how we actually get it to market. There's, there's also an interesting story behind our most recent kind of business validation. And that was when Alex and I were on Techstars and you know, we were on Techstars and we realized, you know, we, we, we could see another pivot coming, right? You know, we could go down the B2B fork and start selling something to gyms and, you know, improve their kind of operations or whatever, or going direct to the users. And we were kind of at, at loggerheads trying to figure out which direction to go. And then we had a, we had a slide on a presentation and then we grabbed this bloke from the coffee machine and you look like a guy who goes to the gym, you know, big chest and everything. And Alex just went up to him and he goes, mate, can you just look at this slide and tell me if this makes sense to you? And he ran this slide and he was like, guys, none of this makes sense. I'm sorry, but there's a light, there's a tagline at the bottom of the slide that says we are the whoop for strength training. And that resonates massively with me. And he introduced us to 10 of his friends, then emails to introduce us to his coaches, all these other gyms, to people that he knew in Israel. And that was the trigger point because we realized if this potential customer is introducing us to more people freely. You know, there's definitely something here. And it was that path that led us to where we are today. So it's, it's almost frictionless speaking to CrossFitters, powerlifters, weightlifters, because they just see the value in what we're doing. So it's that moment where you realize selling this isn't difficult. That's kind of one piece of validation. Can, what was the tagline again? We probably should repeat it, but <laughs> stance is the, because we're going to get in a big issues of week, but. It's, it's saying that we're the whoop for strength training. Yeah. It, it, listen, it, we've seen so many decks where people are like, we're the Uber of something. We're the exactly. Airbnb or we're the Amazon of something. And so I love that it quickly creates a picture in somebody who yeah. knows what the comparable is, right? 
Yeah. And I'm, as you were talking about it, one of the things I've been I've been thinking about lately, and and listen, I, I got into entrepreneurship when it was it was known as unemployment. You either had a job <laughs> or you tell, yeah. and especially yeah. coming from a South Asian family, sure. they didn't understand anything. <laughs> like you you went to school for computer science and you want to have your own. I don't understand what's happening and why are you unemployed? And so over the years, entrepreneurship becomes sexy. Now sure. there's the reality shows and investors and all this stuff. And I think about this idea of you know, founder credibility, right? When, when, when I look at, you know, new founders and from your perspective, you know, you guys have the technical knowledge, you've got the, the business acumen, but none of you are fitness social influencers. You didn't win Mr. Olympia and you're building this really cool tech advising folks on how, what do you think about in general entrepreneurship? as it's grown over the last five years. And then it's entrepreneurship and founder credibility as important, it's not as important. Where do you fit in? I, I got a good answer to that. And yeah. I think you articulate something really interesting. And you're right, you know, Alex and I aren't Olympians, you know, we aren't fitness influencers, but we've just got a massive passion for the problem. And we are obsessed with this pain problem because we experienced it every single day of our lives. You know, Alex for 20 years, me, Every time I finish work and go to the gym, I'm just always guessing and it's a pain in the backside, right? And because we're so deeply involved and, and have an obsession with the problem, we just understand how it works and where people are getting frustrated. So finding a solution to that become, starts to become easier because we understand the pain the users are going through. Yeah. And then addressing your last point, which is around founder credibility. Um, it's just about as key as it gets. If you and your founder and your team around you are not credible, then nobody will give you the time of day. If you are credible and have the capability to be able to engage with people and make them understand and communicate really, then that is absolutely key to what we to what we as entrepreneurs do. It's those soft skills which yeah. all too often are overlooked, absolutely vital. Yeah, and I love that that you know you, you brought up the obsession. Like I, you know, I, I'm now three years into ed tech and I'm not an educator. I'm not a teacher. I hate the system in general. I couldn't wait to get out. But during COVID, I got obsessed with the fact that as a parent, I've got kids at home that I can't educate in a first world country because the roadblocks are set up. And that led you into a three-year business model now that we're trying to shape out. But, you know, I, I love the fact that, you know, you call that obsession because there's this, there's this idea of like playing it soft. And 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 still feeling like you can you cannot be obsessed about the problem and build something great. You gotta be a bit nutso about the thing you're trying to change the world with. And I feel that with you yeah, guys, absolutely. which I love. So absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Tell me a little bit about where the where the business is at at this point in time. Because when you go to your website, you can sign up for a beta release, right? You can be part of this beta group. So was that intentional? Are you creating a sense of exclusivity around the product and that's why you went that route? Or is it that the solution is really in the beta stage and you're trying to build out the feature set based on a user community? Go on, Jay. This is this is more your Yeah, I mean it's it's exactly what you said, right? You know, we are at the stage where we're still testing the product, you know, making it okay. sticky. But we have to also take that opportunity to 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 get people obsessed over it, you know, make it exclusive, make it feel like it's special. 
you know, there's going to be, there's going to be times when you're a founder where you have to do awkward things and, you know, beta testing and things that you don't really want to do. But if you can try and market that as well, you know, you're almost sitting two bears with one stone. So yeah, we're, we are at the stage where we're testing with users, iterating the product, you know, working with a bunch of gyms, elite professionals, you know, big sports teams to make sure we have something that's really sticky. So then when we scale it, we know it's going to hold its ground a lot better than kind of just giving it to everyone at the start and then dealing with feedback from everyone. It's better just to have a closed tight group, iterate fast and, and then scale when we're ready. And if you don't mind me asking, is this self-funded or is it investor-funded? It's investor-funded. So we have, we are, oddly you should say that, we're currently just about to close our second seed round. And we've just come out of Techstars, who are an American VC-backed, uh, well, you know Techstars, and they invested in us as well. So we have got investor money behind us. And we have a, uh, an investment strategy. And, and the reason I'm asking that question, right, is because... When you're using investor money, there's usually certain KPIs that need to be met and things like that. If I look, and, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but at this point in time, considering you're still doing the beta release and you're still building out your feature set and things like that, you're probably not in a position of profitability yet, right? So how does that, that stress of being profitable and managing that against investor expectations, how do you manage that? Well, well that's how you got to find the right investors. Exactly, yeah, exactly. And we're we're at the seed stage, so our investors are angels and friends of the business, um, and they all understand that what we've set is is milestones rather than KPIs at the moment. It's easy to set a milestone. So a milestone, for example, for us this year is to be driving revenue by the next quarter. That's a very clear milestone, and we've we're raising specifically against doing just that. And so we're accountable to the people that have, that have given us the money or that own the business to make sure that we hit those milestones. Part of that, of course, is, is, is a communication piece. And it's a big part of my job is to make sure that the people who own my business or own our business uh, are all kept up to date with, with what we're doing, how we're doing it, and how we're managing those milestones. So KPIs, yes, we have thought about KPIs, but it's a little bit difficult at the moment because we're still pre-revenue. So yeah, what okay. we what we actually think about is milestones rather than KPIs. If that answers the question, let's talk about yeah. Let's talk about your your first few outbounds. One of the things we run into, especially first time founders, is this fear of rejection. And they've got a really cool product. They've spent some time building it, and then it's I got to tell the world I have something. And you know, there's there are all the excuses you could think of. I don't know how to find the people. And I'm not an e-marketer, I'm not a digital marketing person, and I'm not a good salesperson. I don't know how to pitch. And all of this narrative and label sort of just keep them in the same spot, which is an idea that's going to be dead and, you know, another idea that's gone. Between the two of you from a getting out into the world and sort of sharing, what were some of those early days like? What was a rejection like? Any hurdles you need to jump past? You know, walk us through some of that early, early days of, of sharing the vision with the world. So, well, there are a number of things about it. You've, you've touched on a whole host of, of issues. But key to this is that as a, as, a, as a startup, you've got to be able to build stuff and you've got to be able to sell stuff. And my point around that is that you've got to be market-led 
rather than technology driven. It's absolutely key. So Jay Shan and I can build the most amazing bit of kit for the gym, but if no one wants to buy it, it just is an academic problem. So if we can go to the market and say, look, we have, we understand what the problem is and we can build a, build a solution to that. How do you, the market want, what, what is it you, the market want? Then we can build that product to meet the market. And sometimes we've been a little bit guilty of being too technology oriented and we've had to step back. And I have to say that when, while we we're at textiles, textiles were absolutely superb at getting us focused on the market and building technology for the market rather than the other way around. So that sort of answers part of that question. And then the other thing is around personality traits that I think make for good entrepreneurs. And one of those is resilience. You asked me that question on your email, Dion. It's around resilience. There's no doubt about that. I mean, I think if you were not a resilient person as an entrepreneur, you would, you would suffer a lot from the challenges that are presented to you. And, you know, there is not a single piece of technology out there that suits every single person in the world. So inevitably, there are going to be people who say, well, I don't want. Well, that's fine. But if you can take what they say and flip that around to your advantage, in other words, use it to help develop the product you're, you're, you're building, that's a cool way of doing things. And that's part of resilience. So that's a long-winded answer to a short question. I don't think I've touched on all the subjects you raised. No, I think, I think it's a good soundbite, man. And, 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 and when I'm talking to other founders, the, the formula, like you said, is pretty simple. Let the market lead you and be resilient. And all of the other fancy stuff is an add-on, but you can have the right, all the tools, all the lead gen programs and all of the beautiful prospecting lists, but you still got to be resilient and get to the next Absolutely. call. And, 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 you know, some of the successes that I've had is, is to your point, Deshaun, where I'm obsessed with the problem. I feel like I have an amazing solution and I can't wait to tell as many people as possible exactly. that I have exactly. this thing. Because why wouldn't I? I've solved your problem. I, I can't wait to tell you. And I Absolutely. bring that energy to every damn phone call. So, you know, it's exciting to, to get that, you know, out to anybody listening to this. Like, the formula is not that hard. Just love the problem. Love the solution you came up with and be ready to tell everybody you meet. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And accept the fact that it takes time, you know, and accept the fact that there are going to be changes and there are going to be little knocks and all the rest of it. But the road to, the road path, that we're on is a, is a great path to be on. It's really yeah. exciting. It's great fun. It's passionate. It's dynamic. It's driven. It's so much more exciting than, you know, than almost anything else you could be doing. What is the team size for your company today? How many other folks are on a day-to-day -day level working with you guys? Jay? Yeah, so there's, there's three of us full-time. So there's Alex, myself, and a software lead. And then we have two other people on the tech team who work for us part-time. Yeah, and those and those guys are from Imperial College, and then we have Alex's door actually who helps us in the marketing, um, and then you know we have our advisors and mentors who are around us you know help shape our thinking. If we're too close to the coal face, you know, this is a good way for us to step back and think through things. Jay, you've you've missed out Scott as well. Oh, and Scott, um, <laughs> God, Scott, well, he's a recent addition. I've got to Scott. Recent, he's a recent fantastic addition. So you you make your own luck, don't you? There's no doubt about it. I mean, that serendipity and luck is a big part of this, but you make your And we've been super lucky with the people that we've met. I mean, just we've met some absolutely fabulous, fabulous people on this road. One of those guys is Scott. And Scott has, he's done, the, he actually designed our website for us and did, has done the UX for the, for the software and this, that, and the other. 
And Scott has loves what we're doing, completely gets what we're doing, is completely passionate about it, and has offered to to come on board as part of the I use grandly the term senior team. It's not a senior team. The sort of guys that do all the you know the Jason and me team. And Scott has come on on board for two or three days a week to help us drive the strategy, to help us look at the market, the go sorry the product, the go to market, the marketing, and all this. Scott is an experienced entrepreneur, so he's exited twice, I think. Um, so he knows his wow. stuff inside out. So having Scott on board has been has really helped us shape the way we think about the next stage of the business and you know the next year or so. So. He's all, yeah. yeah, exactly. He's almost like a plug-in entrepreneur who's just come yeah. in and really helped de-risk a lot of things and prove out assumptions. And he's just got a scientific approach to what we thought was a lot of chaos. And it's just been really helpful. And also, if I can just have a quick plug for textiles as well. So we came out of textiles last year, London-based textiles. Um, and that team there have been absolutely superb. They were, a, a, they were bloody good for helping us do a number of things. It's a brilliant network. They invested in us and they helped us focus on market, on making, getting a product market fix, fits, <clears throat> on helping us think about how we, how we approach on investors and this, that, and the other. So big shout out for Textiles and that one. It was a great, great accelerator. Yeah, the, the, I, I know of the Toronto folks and fantastic group. Yeah, good bunch of people. You mentioned you brought Scott on board. I've just got a question. So they always, and I, I, I hear your comments as well. You know, you're not an island. You need people around you to support you. But in startups, if you are a sole founder, you make all the decisions. As soon as you start bringing co-founders on board, you've got different personalities, potentially different ideas, different strategies. And now you've brought on an external person as well, right? So you, you're sitting with a team with really diverse skill sets and probably very strong opinions. How do you deal with conflicts and how do you make sure that everyone is aligned and pushed in, in the same direction? Communication. Absolutely key skill. And whatever, whatever you do. And if you, if, so as a good example, the three of us sat down yesterday, I think it was four hours, to talk about a testing program and, this, and a couple of things we've got lined up. And all three of us had slightly different ideas. Through calm, rational discussion. We've actually come to, we've come to a prudent decision that one or two of us may not agree with all of us, but what we have agreed is that's where, the way we're going to do it and, that's, and we're all behind that. And it's fundamentally about communication and listening. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And I mean, the other key okay. thing is it's trust, right? You can't hold grudges. You know, there's tons of times that Alex and I have so many arguments, you know, we're showering each other at one point in textiles no, that people people had to leave the table but the next day we'd act like everything's normal because you know it just wouldn't phase us you know that we just don't hold yeah. anything or we just carry on moving forward we just don't even think about it and i think if you have that trust with whoever you're working with you can kind of work through any problem the, other, the other worst case that. you figure out how to push it out you know let's get to yes, the gym exactly let's yes, get our yes, arguments yeah. out, let's let's out, push out. It yes. competitive <laughs> arguments <laughs> but I mean, this goes back to this, this, this thing that I mentioned about half an hour ago, that key relationship is the founder relationship. You know, you've got, if it doesn't work, there is no way on God's earth that your business is going to work. Um, and Jay Shan and I have been lucky that we worked in a different business together. We get on really well together. Sure. We argue. Sure. We, sure. We have clashes, but if we didn't have clashes, then we'd be, you know, we wouldn't be looking at things 
in a much more uh, analytical way. Yeah, and and before you know, we move into the next segment, one last question: because of the size that you guys are, how do you how do you de-risk outsourcing? You know, a lot of first-time founders we have, they don't have, they have a little bit of money. They're usually bootstrapping and they want mm-hmm. to stretch the dollar as far as they can, and they're doing the upworks and the freelancers and et cetera. How in your world have you put in some measures to de-risk any outsourcing you might have done? That's a really good question. And we've had that yeah. problem for the last two years. So, you know, when we didn't have our team, we were thinking about outsourcing a lot of the tech. You know, luckily now all of that's in-house. But there are times where you've got to give some work to someone else, right? And that was with Scott. So Scott is in the team because we did a small project with him. And I think that's how you de-risk outsourcing. Instead of farming out a massive project, and if you've got a hundred thousand pounds, you don't give all of that money to an outsourcer, to a third party. What you do is you set a specific goal, do a very small project, and then test how you work together. Test if they can deliver, see how they think. And then once they've done that, then you give them a little bit more money. And then you give them a little bit more work to do. And then if they are successful, then you do that again. And I think that's how you de-risk it. You, you test the relationship, see if you can communicate, do a small piece of work together, a quick piece of work as well. So if you, if you fail, at least you fail fast. And that way you have a better understanding of whether you can work together longer and give them more. That's good advice. That's great advice. We needed the, we needed the soundbite. Cause that's one thing we get asked all the time for new founders. I have this project, I have this money and you know, who do I go to and how do I, you know, and, and you've answered it perfectly. Thank you. But you've got to have a lot of conversations too. I mean, you've got to go out there and speak to a bunch of people to find out which one's right. You know, you've got to kiss all those frogs. Yeah. It takes time. Yeah. And, and this is where, you know, when we look at this new world of everything being so templated, you know, the amount of templated things you see, you don't know what creativity went into this stuff. Everybody's a Canva expert. Everybody's a WordPress expert. And you're trying to weed through this to look for originality and some unique thinking and some unique ideas. And that alone is a full-time job, exactly. let alone paying somebody to do work for you. So yeah. Yeah, Dion, yeah. it's a problem we have every day too, my man. Is it? Absolutely. And to that point, I mean, Jason, you said your, your tech team is now in-house, right? Yeah. Has that, has that been a game changer for you? Oh, 100%. In terms of, is it? Okay. Absolutely. Because, well, so we started off being kind of, so the key thing for us is building the product, right? And we've got to have control of that. You know, as soon as you give that to someone else, you lose that control. And, you know, we knew if we wanted to make tons of changes quickly and fast, the best way of doing that is having our own team. And when we first started, you know, we had this massive hardware project product that, you know, we thought we could comfortably do within the, in the team at the time, but now we've changed to a software company, to a data company. So we have had to adapt the team along across that journey. So, you know, we found people along the way, you know, we talked to people, went to networking events, put ourselves up in different places. And, you know, now we've got that team around us who can, who can deliver. But it is important and it is a game changer because it just means you can move quickly. And that's the aim of the game. You know, how much do you do in, in a given space of time? That, I appreciate that. I mean, I mean, it's impossible to do it without an in-house tech team. Yeah. So yeah, there's, there's, there's routes that work for everyone, right? Yeah, it's a difficult decision to make. I mean, it depends on your funding. Exactly. It depends on your roadmap. It depends on the type of skills that you need. 
But yeah, I'm just quite interested. A lot of companies have gone down the route of outsourcing tech entirely, but you always run, run the risk mm-hmm. that if you fall out, then you have to onboard yeah. a brand new team. And that onboarding process, they haven't been part of that journey. You lose the momentum and, and cost you quite a lot of money. Yeah. But then yeah. again... Sorry, no, I was just going to say, I think, I mean, we are thinking of outsourcing certain tech, but at, at some point in the future, but we'll only do that when, we, when we're 100% confident that what will be delivered is going to add value. If we validate it against the market, you know, we've done all our tests, we know exactly what we need to build. Then it makes sense to give it to someone else to build. And I'm really mm-hmm. fussed about how it's built as long as you build it, because I know this is going to drive revenue or whatever. But if you don't know what you need to build and then you outsource it, that's where it's risky, right? But yeah, if you know exactly. Yeah, it's a good point. It, right. it, it, three three years thing. into school, you'll... We're in the same boat. The first year MVP was built in India. And then and then the market still wasn't ready, but we kind of knew what we wanted, but we didn't burn a lot of money. Version two went to Pakistan. And then version two went to market, got to our first half a million. Then we started to bring the entire team in-house because we needed version three to be perfect, which is coming out end of Q1. And then after that version comes out, we don't need the same team anymore. Now we got to do a hybrid model. And so it's constantly sort of looking at you know, how do we burn the best way? But to both of your point, how do we make sure everything going out the door is what the market needs? Exactly. exactly. Not because we think exactly. it's kind of cool. And so, you know, as you guys were talking, my CEO had is, is, is happy that there's folks that are, you know, in the same space of trying to figure out what is this new world? Because COVID is now normalized hybrid and remote. Mm-hmm. And, and, exactly. and that also brought out some of the worst of us where you could take advantage of, of the situation and have multiple jobs and, and, and ghost people and quiet quitting and all this, like anything good comes with a bunch of not so good. And we're seeing that in, 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 in the workforce now. And as leaders, we need to figure out how to adapt. And so this is all amazing stuff for listeners. Guys, we reached the last segment. I actually sent you these questions, Alex, and you have given me some answer, but I'm going to repeat the questions <laughs> for the benefit of our said. audience. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm going to go, I'm going to go for the easy ones. So <laughs> this goes for both of you. What tools or software are you using that you think is indispensable in the early stages of your business? And maybe Alex, you could give one or two from your perspective sure. and Jason, maybe one or two from yours. So I'll, if I talk about, if you like, those things that help us manage the business side of it, and perhaps Jay can talk about the, the technical side of things. So Perfect. there are a couple of bits of kit that we use that are, that have really, really changed the way that we collaborate. Because collaboration is key to this. And Notion is one of those bits of kit. So Notion, we, we found to be a really useful bit of kit. It's very, very comprehensive, very user-friendly. And it's, it's fun to use as well. It's sticky. But what it allows us to do is to capture everything that we do in one spot and allow, and allow everyone to see it. Because we're at the stage of a business where we only have one or two things that, that Jay Shan and I need to keep to ourselves. The rest of it, I'm very happy. We're very happy for the rest of the team to see, and it allows us to drive collaboration. So Notion's been really, good. but from my perspective, I'm one of my responsibilities is is driving the the investment to the business, and you need to have some way of collating uh, all the people you're talking to, what stage you're at, except how much, what the ticket size is, is this and the other, and we used a bit of kit called Founder Suite, which is an American an American invested database. And I found it to be really useful. It's got a it's got a great database that you can use for analysis of the of, of people of investors, but it also allowed me to keep a control of where we sat with each individual, 
keep them abreast of things. I can send them emails and voices. So it was a CRM effectively, but for, for investors called Founder Suite, a really good bit of kit. And we use, is it Pipedrive or Pipeline? What's yeah, Pipedrive, yeah. Pipedrive, which is a fantastic CRM. So those are the three things that, that I use to, to help me stay abreast of, of, of all that information. Perfect. Appreciate that. Jesh. Yeah, there was actually something we recently used. So on the fundraising, getting feedback on your deck is so important, right? Because cash without cash, you, you don't have a business. But how do you know what people think of your deck when you ping it on an email? Because you don't know if they've read it and you don't know what they've read. Though so we, this is a textiles app actually, we got access to Docsend. And what that allows is to see how much time someone's spending on a slide of your deck. So you can see where they drop off or what slide they drop off. You can see how long they're spending on what slide. And you can take all those analytics and understand, you know, people aren't looking at this slide. You know, that means we've got to go in and work on that slide. Or people are dropping off on the market slide, which means, you know, the, the pitch is too boring to begin with. You know, we've got to, we've got to introduce that hook quicker. So that's been really helpful on the fundraising. And just another simple tool, which I use all the time, but I don't know if people use all the time, is just when you're a founder, there's so many things going on in your brain, right? You just always things are just constantly going on and, and I just forget so many things and I go to bed and everything just whirring, whirring, whirring. I can't stop thinking. And what I do is I just go, hey Siri, add this to reminders. And I don't know if anyone uses that, but that's just so helpful because it just offloads all that yeah. stuff on my mind on a list so I don't need to worry about it. Um, so whenever I'm cooking or something and, and, I, and I, something pings in my head, I just be like, hey Siri, add this to reminders. And I know I don't need to think about it ever again because I will definitely forget. And that, that's just a very simple thing that just works for me. <laughs> and he definitely does forget quite a lot. Yeah, I do. <laughs> I definitely do. Sorry, there's one. I'm talking of forgetting. Yes, now, I've just forgotten one thing as well. So for me, one of the key things is to keep abreast of the, of the cap table, you know, because we've done share splits. We've, we've had four or five different share issues, this, that, and the There's a bit of kit called Leggy, which is free, for, I think, for the first 25. I think it's the first 25 people on your cap table. And it's a really good way of keeping abreast of what's happening on your cap table because Although, you know, a year ago, Jason, it was just Jason and me, and it was a 50-50 share split. Today, it's absolutely key that I know what the rest of the people who own my business or this business have as part of, of that, of that, um, of that organisation. So, Leggy allows me to press it back. Okay. Did you just say Leggy? Leggy, L-E-D-G-Y, I think it is. Yeah, L-E-D-G-Y. Yeah, it's perfect. Really cool. I, I was actually looking for something like that as we get ready for our Series A, and we, we, did, our, we did our seed round in June, and things got split up. And so now I was like, how do I to get this out of Excel spreadsheet into something more, more smarter? And you, you solved my it's problem really good. today. Really useful. But I think, I can't remember whether we got it as a text or whether it's a, I think it, for the first 25 investors, it's free. And it allows you to look at things like convertibles and all that, or, or everything that you can possibly conceive at this stage of a business allows you to, to think about. Amazing. And then my last question. What's the lesson, one lesson that entrepreneurship has taught you that you think everyone should learn at one point in their life? And I know, Alex, you've spoken about resilience. Maybe you could share another little lesson there that you think is important. Hmm. Humility. And why do I say humility? Nobody has a monopoly on knowledge and nobody has a monopoly on understanding what to do and when to do it. And if you sit at the center of a business thinking you know everything, that is almost a surefire way of, of a path to failure. If you have the humility to understand where your shortfallings are, where your weak, if you want to call them weaknesses are, and where 
you may be making the wrong decision or you may be thinking about things in possibly the wrong way, then that is going to help you make better decisions, in my opinion. And if you make better decisions, you will be, do you will do your business the greatest service. So humility, I think, is one of those lessons. There are lots and lots of lessons that dropped out of it, but that's one that yeah. sprang to mind then. Thank you. That's beautiful. Cheers, I am. I was just thinking that as you said it. I think for me, what was useful is not being afraid to make mistakes. So as an engineer, you know, I was always a perfectionist. I had to get something done. You know, this calculation had to be perfect. You know, there had to be this margin of error. It had to be right. And I won't stop until it's, you know, 100% done. Coming into the startup world, it's the complete opposite. You know, you got to find out how many lessons you can learn in the shortest amount of time. So right, you, your, your job is to make mistakes, the smallest mistakes that end up giving you, you know, the least amount of impact. But, you know, just diving in and not being afraid to make those mistakes was just really important. And I think, yeah, everyone should adopt that if they, if they want to be a founder. Can I, can I just add one more? And it's not really something I've learned, but it's something that, that, that happens. Being an entrepreneur is a lot of fun too. There is no point in doing this if you're not, there's no point in doing work if you're not enjoying it. Doing what I'm doing today and what Jay Shan's doing today really gets me out of bed every morning. If it's Saturday morning, Sunday morning, Monday morning, it gets me out of bed. I absolutely love doing it. It's a dynamic, vibrant, a really exciting place to be. And if you've got a great product like we have, then so much the better because oh, we know that we know we're on the right path. We're, we're on a path to success, which makes it even better. But it's a brilliant place to be. Very, very, very humble, Alec. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Hey, it's, it's, it, that's, you know, that's my you know you going straight out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I love <laughs> Putting it. Putting it out to the universe. That's it. That's what that is. Gentlemen, I want to really thank you for your time. It's been absolutely brilliant talking to both of you. If people want to reach out, follow you, see what you're up to. Sign up for the beta. Exactly. Yeah. Sign up to the beta, you know, stancehome.com or on Instagram, stance.fitness, you know, reach out to us. Thanks, Absolutely. gents. It's been amazing. Thank, Thank you, so you so much. Thank you so much. Really us. great to meet you. Really enjoyed doing that. Year One is hosted by Dion Kloppers and Satish Bala and does not constitute a recommendation for any organization, product, or service. It is engineered by BlueMex. For more Year One content, subscribe where you get your podcasts and visit BlueMex.io to join us on Discord.